Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, October 10, 2021. This year, ID numbers for Friday, October 8th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,891. That's 17891. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,892. That's 17892. This morning, A Vision for You presents Getting Abstinent, Staying Abstinent. The Big Book's approach to Step 1 is what Dr. William Silkworth, the doctor who wrote the two letters found in the doctor's opinion, called the double whammy. Put simply, we have an allergy of the body, which means that once we start eating certain kinds of foods or indulging in certain compulsive eating behaviors, we develop cravings which overpower us. And we have a mental obsession, which means that even if we stop eating those foods, Our mind persuades us that we can return to eating those foods all over again, and again, and again, and again. An essential part of the very beginning of the recovery process is the separation from our binge foods and being honest about both past and present binge foods and eating behaviors. Dr. William Silkworth states, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. We in Overeaters Anonymous must do the same. We have to stop our craving, and the only way is to stop eating foods that cause our cravings. We must be as food sober as an alcoholic is with alcohol. Of course, the greater aspect of our disease is the mental obsession, which means that even if we stop eating those foods, our mind persuades us that we can return to eating those foods all over again and again and again. Hence, the urgency and the necessity of the 12-step process to ensure getting abstinent and staying abstinent. Joining us today to speak on this vital topic is Kathleen O., a recovered compulsive overeater from California. Kathleen is committed to the 12 steps and to our design for living, which of course includes carrying this message of recovery. And it's with great appreciation for all that you do, Kathleen, that I welcome you to the line this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Leah. You know, it's it's really great to be here with all of you this morning because even though I don't know all of you, I know you understand me when it comes to eating compulsively, and I understand you. Um, I've been blessed with amazing family and friends, but they sure don't understand me in this addiction. Um, you know, it's, I think it's very difficult for a 
non-compulsive overeater to understand a compulsive overeater. So thanks everyone for always being here. So, um, you know, if, if you're a compulsive overeater and you're getting abstinent, um, be open to new ideas. You know, do you feel hopeless? Are you the type who even, you know, even though you know the consequences of eating, you do it over and over again? I did, you know, that was me. And, um, you know, getting abstinent, it has to do with the food. I'm not gonna talk about specific foods, but I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. Um, but just a little bit about my journey. When I came into 12-step recovery, I was just looking to lose weight. I'd never heard of the 12 steps. I had no idea what they were. And, but I was desperate and I was hopeless. And nothing else had worked for me, so maybe this would. And I remember two things the first meeting. And, and I, I, I came into a different 12-step recovery. It was an OA. Um, there were several thin people in the room who stood up and said they used to you know, be 100 pounds heavier. And that really impressed me. Um, and it's interesting because the one thing that I heard at that meeting was a day at a time. And I figured, well, I can do just about anything for a day. So I was given a food plan. I was told to call my sponsor the next day. And I was told to work the tools. So I was desperate. Um, so I had 100% compliance. You know, I was the dream sponsee. I did exactly what was suggested and I lost my weight. And knowing what I know now, I don't know why the tools worked seven years for me, um, but they did. I was basically doing the tools, going to meetings, <clears throat> sponsoring people to do the same thing. So, and I did actually, in my first seven years of abstinence, I worked the steps in a group several times, but it was very slowly. And each time took over two years. So that by the time I was done, I was done. The 12-step group I was in focused on the tools, not the big book. And no one mentioned living in steps 10, 11, and 12. You know, there was two of the tools that had to do with 11 and 12, prayer and meditation and service. But um, 10 was not discussed at all. And, and truly, we have to do 10, 11, and 12 to stay abstinent if we're the real compulsive overeater. So... After my seven years of meetings, tools, and sponsoring people to go to meetings and work the tools, and there's nothing wrong with that because it does work for some people, but I personally was having problems. My resentments and my fears built up. I wasn't paying attention to them. And then ego, easing God out, you know, I wasn't connecting with my higher power, and I certainly wasn't enlarging on my spiritual life. I rested on my laurels. And... You know, the definition of that is to be satisfied with one's past success and to consider further effort unnecessary. And that's exactly where I was. So thinking I had arrived and further work wasn't needed, I was bored in the meetings. I was listening to people talk 95% about what it was like and 5% focusing on the tools. And it just wasn't working for anymore. So during this time of disconnect, um, with my higher power and with the program I was, I was in. Um, I stayed in it, but I was pretty disconnected. You know, I thought eating more abstinent food was a good idea. 
I started to have some really good ideas. You know, popcorn was a good idea. It's only corn after all. And raisins were a good idea. They're not flour and sugar. They're fruit. And, you know, flour without sugar even started to sound like a good idea. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't begin... Like I said, I didn't begin 12-step recovery in OA, but my sponsor, I had told her what was going on with me, and she had heard about vision. And so I started looking and I started hearing things about OA, and I liked hearing that there's no one food plan, that everyone gets to create their own, um, that we may choose to define, this is what I heard, we may choose to define our absence as strictly or loosely as benefits our recovery. Now, there's a lot of leeway in there for me. Um, it did mention doing it with a sponsor, but I left that part out. So this all sounded really good to me. You know, I didn't have to be so strict with my food plan, and I could still be abstinent. Um, unfortunately for me, defining my own abstinence put me on a very slippery slope, and my head began to be filled with food thoughts, and I actually gained 15 pounds eating abstinent foods. I'm a volume eater, so not weighing and measuring, that didn't work for me. And I believe the only reason I didn't gain all my weight back is, and, you know, spiral down further is because I never left the rooms. So thankfully, one day my sponsor told me about vision. Um, the same year vision began, I think that was about nine years ago. And I listened to the recordings for several years until the 10 a.m. Eastern time meeting got added. And that was really great because I was able to listen live. And I loved what I heard. Um, you know, there was so much recovery and, and specific, specifically, you know, we, reading this um, a paragraph by paragraph every day, listening to podcasts, I finally got the message I needed to hear. And basically that was 10, 11, and 12 daily. Um, the tools, you know, like I said, had me in 11 and 12, but 10 was nowhere on the horizon. So, um, so getting abstinent. Um, if you're new to OA or struggling to get your abstinence back, we have to start with a food plan. You know, engage and invest in your recovery. And for me, it's about keeping the food plan simple. You know, keep it black and white. Your food plan may change with age or your level of exercise, but the plan should continue to be black and white and should also include abstaining from alcoholic behaviors. That was a big one for me. You know, going into the gray area, I think, is a good plan to fail. So getting absent can be challenging, and staying absent takes a lot of work. But trust me, it gets easier, it feels amazing, and it becomes effortless if we, if we do the work. And the good news is, with a clean, honest food plan, working the steps, living in 10, 11, and 12, we can all have contented abstinence. You can have it. Um, getting abstinence is a gift, and you can return a gift. You know, once you get abstinent, don't give it away. That's what I did. If you surrender and you're willing, your higher power will do for you what you can't do for yourself. So don't return the gift of abstinence. And the truth is, it's easier to stay abstinent than get abstinent. Those, you know, of us who have gone on and off know that. So unfortunately, there's no magic wand to wave and make us thin and sane. It takes action. 
So in the doctor's opinion, um, XXVIII, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. So food does for me what it doesn't do for other people. And when I was young, I believe I acquired an addiction to food when I was young. And because I have, I have memories when I was really young and around the food. And unfortunately, my mom returned to work when I was two years old and left me with a caregiver, and I didn't feel safe with that caregiver. Um, you know, she wasn't physically abusive, but emotionally she was, it wasn't good. Um, and I have stayed with her while my parents worked until the fifth grade when I became a latchkey kid. And that was like I died and went to heaven. Um, you know, I had a lot of fear and insecurity around this woman. And so I learned very early that food comforted me. It masked the feelings of fear and insecurity, which at the time I couldn't even express or verbalize. And, and that fear and insecurity followed me all through school. Um, you know, food always fixed those feelings. And I couldn't wait for lunch and I couldn't wait to get home because I knew there was food and food brought me comfort. It just always brought me comfort. So no surprise, um, you know, I got where I got. And I would steal change that I could find around the house and use it for candy, for ice cream, for anything with the word hostess on us on it. And I had a habit of hiding, hiding food. Um, I don't know what that was all about, but I just could never get enough. So, and you know, even as an adult, I would hide food. Um, <laughs> so my disease progressed. Um, and when I was old enough to earn my own money and drive, man, that was great. There was no end to the food I could purchase and eat. You know, anything in a bakery box, a bag, a carton, I had to finish them. And anything that came in a dozen, I'd eat the whole dozen. I'd get a dozen of donuts and finish half of them just driving the two miles home from the donut shop. So it was frightening how much food I could ingest. I'd eat until I was sick. And I even remember trying to make myself vomit once, but thankfully it didn't work for me. Um, so for whatever reason, I don't have a shut-off valve. And maybe it's genetics, but I was the perfect candidate to eat when these emotions of feeling unsafe would crop up. You know, food fixed everything, and I liked the effect I got when I ate flour, sugar, and fat items. It gave me comfort. And when I wasn't happy, or even if I was happy, I loved the effect. It just made me feel good. In the doctor's opinion, and again on XXVIII, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit, and for us food is injurious, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks they see others taking with impunity. So I knew the food was harming me. You know, not only was I over 200 pounds, but food made me miserable after a binge. I couldn't wait. And, and what was really crazy about that was I would feel so sick, but then I couldn't wait for a little more room to be created in my stomach so I could shove more in. And I remember this one day, I was just watching my hand bring the food to my mouth and wondering why I couldn't stop my hand from doing it. I felt like I had no control over that hand doing that. So, you know, we're a, fellow, we're a fellowship of compulsive overeaters, and food probably does for you something it doesn't do for normal eaters. You know, those normal eaters, I have these three skinny friends that um, I've been friends with for decades, and 
And, you know, when we go out to eat, they say they're full and they push their food away. And, and they're, they also sometimes forget to eat a meal because they're too busy with doing something else. You know, I never forget to eat. I've never missed a meal. Um, and what does full have to do with anything? <laughs> you know, I never pushed away dessert. I'd obsess about how to get more. And I hated sharing my food. I remember one time going out to dinner with these friends and we all got dessert. And all three of those gals took a few bites of their desserts and they just stopped. They had no problem just leaving it and having the waiter pick it up. <laughs> um, you know, they said they were full. But I was full too, but I ate all of mine. And being who I am, I drove back to that restaurant the next day and I purchased an entire chocolate cake, which is what I had a slice of the night before. And I went home and ate it. So I'm not only addicted to flour and sugar and fat, I'm addicted to quantities. And, you know, that's all the mental obsession um, of having to just go back and get more and more and more. So also in the doctor's opinion, the, act, the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So that's the difference between me and my skinny friends. So, you know, ask yourself these two questions. Are you different from the average temperate eater? Can you control your food? It was clear I was different from the average temperate eater because I didn't stop. And I couldn't control my food. And I tried hundreds of times. You know, I came into 12-step recovery because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I mean, how many times did I go to bed feeling disgusted with myself, wake up swearing off the food, and before noon I'd be binging again? And how many times did I white-knuckle a diet only to lose the weight and always gain it all back and more? I wreaked havoc on my body, kind of like blowing it up letting it out, blowing it up. I mean, I did this over and over again, and I was insane around the food. You know, what kind of crazy thinking is that, going on diet after diet, even though the result is always the same, gaining back all the weight and more? Why would I keep going on a diet? So in the doctor's opinion, um, we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And abstinence treats the allergy. The allergy of the body is why I binged on a daily basis. The obsession of the mind is why I could, why I could go on a diet, lose the weight, but never have the ability to stay stopped and always gaining my weight back. And with all my experience, I'd still make the insane decision to pick up. You know, I had amnesia. I never remembered the pain of picking up the food again and again and again and again. Um, the mental obsession always persuaded me I could eat my binge foods again and control them, which is absolute crazy thinking. Um, you know, sometimes after a diet, I didn't even think of controlling my binge food. I just needed to eat them again. And on page 30 more about alcoholism, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. I had to totally get that. I mean, it, it's always been the great obsession. And I had to let go of that. Um, you know, 
there is, I will not someday control and enjoy my drinking, my eating, sorry. Um, so I had to fully concede that I'm a real compulsive overeater. And the delusion that I'm like other people, or presently maybe, it had to be smashed. You know, they talked about that. I had to smash the idea that someday, somehow, I was going to beat the, the game. And, um, you know, it's an illusion if we think or believe that someday we can control our food, if you're the real deal. Um, the mental obsession is our minds persuade us that we can begin to eat those foods again. So if you can eat moderately and control your food and not have any headspace being used up thinking about the food, I think that's great, but that's not me. You know, the real compulsive overeater has lost the power of choice. Um, I may have been 70 pounds overweight, but I had 400 pounds between my ears. So I got rid of the body weight by following a food plan. And in my case, that's weighing and measuring. And I got rid of the head weight by doing the steps and finally living in steps 10, 11, and 12. So I know without a doubt that I'm never cured and I'm never finished doing this work. You know, the good news is I really do love doing this work. I never thought I would say that. So many of us get absent right away and, you know, we're in a pink cloud, sometimes for years. That happened with me. But the pink cloud doesn't last. If we don't work the steps and live them, we'll be back eating compulsively with that, how did I get here again? So, you know, normal people, they don't have relationships with inanimate objects like food. And most people eat to live. I live to eat. So I, and I might have been able to control my food for very short periods of time. But when I did, I was crazy in the head. And, you know, I couldn't wait for the next binge. You know, being able to control my food was a lie. So if you're low bottom, real compulsive eater, and you want to get abstinent, make a list of your alcoholic foods and your behaviors because the behaviors are, are big. And I have a question for you. So does your experience abundantly confirm that when you take a bite of your alcoholic food, something happens to you bodily and mentally that makes it virtually impossible for you to stop? Because for me, once I took the bite, I couldn't stop. You know, my body craved more and my head couldn't stop thinking about where I could get it, where I could eat it, where I would be seen eating it. Um, parking lots, I spent a lot of time in parking lots because I could buy all my binge food, sit there and eat it with no one seeing me, and I could destroy the evidence. I'd throw it all, you know, all the evidence away before I got home. So in the doctor's opinion, um, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And on page 44, if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. So if all this rings true to you, you are probably a compulsive overheater. And, you know, how do we get abstinent? You know, I couldn't get abstinent and stay abstinent until I first bought into the truth that I would never be normal when it comes to food and that I had forever lost the power of choice and control over the food. I believe if the real compulsive overeater can't buy into this truth, that, you know, you're going to end up face down in the food again. So again, it has to, you know, I believe 100%. And 
it helps me when life happens not to pick up, to not forget that I'm never going to have, I'm never going to be normal and I have forever lost power of choice because as soon as I start thinking I have the power back and I can control it, um, it's not a pretty sight. So if you're the real compulsive overeater and think there's a chance you can someday eat like a normal person, have power, control, choice over your food, I don't know, you might want to go out and do some more eating. Um, to get abstinent, you really have to know 100%. Um, you know, it can't be 98% or, oh, yeah, I think I might have control because my experience is that doesn't work. Um, and, you know, not everyone is the real compulsive overeater. So the moderate and hard types, they're described on page 20 and 21. Um, I got myself into trouble once when I heard an OA speaker say he could go out with friends and eat one piece of pizza. And I have a friend in OA who can drink a glass of wine. And I wanted to be like them, you know. But maybe these two are moderate or hard overeaters. And I have to remember that. Not everyone is the real compulsive overeater. You know, my addict jumped on those comments. I, I thought, hmm, maybe I could have a slice of pizza and a glass of wine. Um, but I don't think that anymore because I know I'm the real deal, so I don't get sucked into those little, when I hear people say that stuff. Um, and, you know, play it out if you ever get sucked into the lies you tell yourself. You know, the truth is I need to eat the whole pizza and I'd be eating pizza for months, not just a day. So know your trigger foods and never doubt them. Doesn't matter whatever other people are talking about. They may be doing the steps. They may be doing everything. But everybody has different trigger foods. So we've got to be honest and know ours and don't doubt them. Um, so, you know, the definition of the real compulsive eater, uh, let's see, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So at some stage of my eating career, I began to lose all control of my binge foods once I ingested them and all control, you know, it's not 98%, it's 100%. So getting abstinent. With the right guidance from a sponsor um, and nutritionist, you know, we can all get a food plan which works for us. But it's got to be an honest food plan that clearly defines entire abstinence for you. And you're going to know it's the correct food plan because you'll get to a normal-sized body. Um, you know, if you've been in OA a while and you're still 10, 20, 30 pounds overweight, it may not be the right food plan or it may not be an honest food plan. And, I mean, I have, I have heard some really interesting food plans um, where people are putting in two snacks that are like two meals. So I think honesty, you, I mean, we've got to be honest. It's like defining our own food plan. We have to use a lot of caution around that because, um, and that's why it's got to be, You've got to be honest when you go to your nutritionist or your doctor and, and know what kind of quantities you're, you really need. Um, you know, we need to be clean and honest in our abstinence. And food and behaviors can overpower us. So we need to be honest about our trigger foods. They're not the same for everyone. And we need to be honest about our behaviors, which can also trigger us. And the behaviors are huge for me. Um, so abstaining 100% from both our alcoholic foods and behaviors 
And then we can begin working the steps. We can have this vital spiritual experience and live this happy, joyous life. Um, it's not going to be perfect. Nobody's life is perfect. We're always, we always have challenges, but we feel good. You know, we have freedom from the food, from fighting anything or anyone. So go to a professional who has experience with compulsive overeaters, ask what you need to eat to get healthy and to get into a healthy body weight. And you have to tell them your trigger foods and your plan cannot include those foods. Um, we are very interesting as compulsive overeaters. I had one sponsor say, well, my nutritionist said I had to have some sugar. It was important to have some sugar in my plan. And it's like, well, did you tell them sugar is your, a trigger food? <laughs> you know, we have to have a black and white food plan because gray areas, gray areas are going to put you on that slippery slope. And so, you know, our alcoholic behaviors, if eating quantities, eating while watching TV, browsing through social media, eating part of your meal while you're preparing your food, eating while you're driving, I mean, be honest, are these behaviors giving you ease and comfort? And that's the big question. Because if we're able to zone out when we're eating abstinent meals in front of the TV, you know, you may be setting yourself up. Um, because life happens and, and notice, you know, notice when, um, for me, I had to pay really, I had to pay attention if that, you know, that little monkey chatter was happening in my head. Um, cause that's like the addict talking and, and here's what it always says, you know, oh, it's fine or it's okay. It's fine if I eat more on a holiday or it's okay if I have one slice of cake at Uncle Joe's birthday. Um, oh, this supersized portion is fine because I'm eating out. You know, it's okay if I eat hors d'oeuvres at the party. After all, it's only cheese and olives, and those are abstinent foods. You know, I've heard um, all that addict chatter. And when the chatter's happening, it means I've lost the disconnect between mind and body, and something's going on. I lost my abstinent abstinence once because I decided I wanted to be like my friends. Um, my husband and I had gone on a trip in our RV and there were four other couples in their RVs and we're all sitting outside together and, you know, hors d'oeuvres were served and I wanted to be like them. So I decided it was a good idea to eat with them. And, you know, bam, it's like down the slippery slope I went, you know, and did this come out of nowhere? No, I wasn't living in the steps and I was failing to enlarge on my spiritual life. We can't stop doing this work. You know, I gave my addict an opportunity and my addict, and my addict pounced. Um, it's not like all of a sudden we pick up the bite. It, there's a lot leading up to it. So we all have different alcoholic behaviors, but know what triggers you. Um, you know, any food or any behavior that brings things ease and comfort should be avoided. I personally need to eat without distractions. Um, I haven't always done that, but it, things work a lot better when I do. I sit with my food. I'm grateful for healthy food that nourishes my body, and I eat the food, and I'm done. And I haven't, like I said, I haven't always practiced mindful eating, but when I do practice it, eating without distractions, I never think of wanting more. Um, you know, if I'm eating with family or friends, that's fine. But when eating alone, it's me, God, and the food. 
And what's interesting when I do that is I'm kind of like done, you know, it's like, okay, I'm done. Good. I can get on and do something else. Um, if you're getting, if you're new, if you're trying to get your abstinence back or you're, or you're new and you're getting abstinent, um, that's going to help you a lot. I mean, do things that are going to make things easier for you and you'll get used to it. It's going to, it's kind of nice. You actually enjoy your food. You're done. Nothing's triggering you and you go all along your day and you're not thinking about food. Um, you know, the times for me, the times when I did eat abstinent food in front of the TV, I always wanted more. You know, I didn't eat more, but I wanted more. So watching TV clearly was giving me that ease and comfort I was chasing. And there's that slippery slope. You know, for entire abstinence, some of us get there quickly, some of us slowly, but we can all get there. And once you have the right food plan, um, oh man, I can't stress this enough. Don't water down your food plan. I believe the best food plan is black and white. If they're gray areas, we're playing with fire when it comes to our abstinence. So have it black and white and don't water it down. Um, oh, maybe, I don't know. There's all sorts of ways to water it down. And I think we all know what that means. And, but here's some examples of watering it down because this is what I did. Um, potato chips are potatoes and oil, so that's okay. There's that that's okay word again. Um, you know, corn chips are okay because they're corn. Sweet potato fries are okay because they're sweet potatoes. Popcorn is corn. I mean, my head, my my head told me this was all okay. What, weighing and measuring, but watering down the program, um, it didn't work for me. It's like it's it's putting it put me on that slippery slope, and things start to progress and progress. Um, you know, another good one is I'm eating out, and this is okay. Uh, I need more of X, Y, and Z because I've exercised a lot today, or you know, there, we have all sorts of reasons. So if you hear the it's okay voice in your head, know it's your attic talking and run. You know, at least go to another room or call someone. Trust me, it's not okay. Um, my experience is these thoughts mean I have feelings. I'm not letting myself feeling. When I can walk through a grocery store only looking at and purchasing my abstinent food or purchasing something not abstinent for a family member, and not giving my non-abstinent food another thought. You know, sometimes I say, thank you, God, that's not my food today if I'm looking at the gross stuff they have in grocery stores, especially around this time of the year. Um, or if I go to a party and I have no problem either eating before I go to the party or bringing my own abstinent food, you know, then I know I'm working a strong program. I'm handling emotions with the 10 steps. I'm having a deep connection with my higher power and doing service. Um, you know, if if those things aren't happening, it's a it's a red flag to me that I got to pay attention. What's going on? Why is why is you know, if I'm going through a grocery store, am I romancing certain foods? You know, there's usually a reason behind that. Um, if I'm making excuses to change my food plan, messing with my food plan practicing alcoholic behaviors, something's wrong. You know, why am I chasing that ease and comfort? And usually it's some kind of denial or delusion or dishonesty. But I have to ask myself why. Um, because sometimes I don't know that I have a resentment um, or, I'm, or I'm not or I'm thinking, oh, you know, again, it's fine. Um, so any non-abstinent food thoughts or behaviors get in my head, 
I'll take extra time to sit with my higher power and ask for direction. You know, show me what I'm not seeing. So we're told in the doctor's opinion that we all have one symptom in common when it comes to the problem. We cannot start eating our binge foods without developing that phenomenon of craving. And that explained why I couldn't stop once I started. You know, our program, our, our, sorry, our, our problem is that we lack the power, and that's step one. So our problem is we lack the power to stop eating compulsively. And the solution is power. So lack of power is our problem, and the solution is power. So willing to believe in a power greater than yourself, that's step two. No more is required. Get a God personal to you. Choose your own conception of God. You don't have to understand anything or know anything. All you need for a strong foundation is willingness. Um, you know, page 25, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the spiritual, the, the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. So when it comes to food, we're powerless. Um, lack of power is our problem. And the doctor's opinion, which is the foundation of the big book, it, it describes our problem and what that means. So if you aren't sure you're a real compulsive eater, overeater and addicted to certain foods, read the doctor's opinion. Most of us can, um, you know, we can relate to a, to a lot of what's going on, uh, what they talk about in the doctor's opinion. So because our disease will do everything, I mean, our disease will do everything to get us not to understand the simple concept, lack of power. And I can't forget that I have absolutely no power, no control. And, you know, step one is honesty. Staying abstinent, the steps are going to keep us abstinent. Living in 10, 11, and 12 keeps me from the root of the problem, which is selfishness, self-centeredness. That we, we believe is the root of our troubles. Um, you know, taking people through the steps reminds me of what I need to not forget. Step one is I'm powerless over food. Step two, that power is going to keep me sane. Step three, faith that this power for, will do for me what I can't do for myself. And this step has saved me, my, saved me in my life over and over. Having faith that God has my back in difficult times gets me through those hard times. Um, I've had a lot of challenges in the last, light, in the last year. And um, one was one of the most difficult things in my life, which was a divorce. And I mean, at, 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 there, were, there were times when I felt like I was dying. And I think part of that is because I wasn't sleeping and I probably was dying from lack of sleep. But I would frequently just go to God and I, I would hear, don't worry, Kathleen, I have your back. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I trusted that because there was a lot of fear going on. Um, and, you know, turns out God did have my back. So, you know, step, step four, selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, fear. You know, what kind of person do I want to be? Steps four through nine are enlarging our spiritual life, and we have to keep close to a higher power. Um, I like step four is courage, five is integrity, six is willingness, seven, humility, eight, self-discipline, love, perseverance, spiritual awareness, and of service. Um, so when resentments or fears crop up, do a 10-step now, not later, not tomorrow. Uh, that's really important when staying abstinent. And 
you know, step 12 is, is service and helping others. You know, working with others is the most important thing I can, I can do to ensure immunity from, from eating. Um, this is a fellowship where we can help each other. And we need to use our spiritual awakening to fulfill our, to, to our full potential. You know, once we're filled with a higher power, we're full of life, goodness, and love, and we don't need to be full of food. You know, the steps are going to help us live life. So it's about living a spiritual life, carrying the message, practicing the principles, and all our problems are going to be solved. Um, it's amazing how our problems get solved. You know, like I said, trust, trust and faith have got me through some difficult times, and, and it works when things get tough. Um, abstinence and the 12 steps, they, bring us from, they brought me from lonely self-pity and despair to happiness, peace, and usefulness even when life got tough and it gets tough sometimes, you know, this is a simple program of action. It's a practical program of action and action is the key word. If you want to get abstinent and stay abstinent, you have to have absolute abstinence and complete surrender. And I always say that even a bad day abstinent is better than a good day in the food. You know, nothing feels better than being healthy and in a normal sized body and the steps not only keep me eating healthy, but they keep me thinking healthy. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about staying abstinent when eating out or traveling. You know, how do we stay abstinent when we have to travel, go on a vacation, or eat out? It's unreasonable to think that we can live in an abstinent bubble at home for the rest of our lives. But I have to say, when I'm in my bubble, things are easy. When I travel, when I go out with friends, when I go on vacation, I have gotten in trouble in all those three areas. And, um, and here's, what I, here's what works for me now, because I don't get in trouble in those areas anymore. So just remember that failing to plan is planning to fail. So if we're traveling or eating out, we have to have a plan. You know, I must have a plan if I plan to stay abstinent. When I travel on a plane, I have my three meals with me. And I know they only let you take if you carry on two items, but they will let you carry on a third if it's your food. Because um, one time I had, anyway, I won't go into that. But anyway, they, they're really good about letting you bring on your food. Um, and when eating out or on a vacation, so this is what I do. When I'm eating out, I text a photo of what I'm going to eat to my sponsor once my food's served. And this flattens my addict because otherwise my head's going to tell me, oh, it's okay, you're eating out, and that portion is okay. And it tends, you know, it'll be a huge portion, but my addict will say, oh, it's okay, you're eating out. You know, there's that denial and delusion again. So email a photo to your sponsor, and that right portion is going to get smaller. Um, we went to New Orleans on a vacation a few years ago. And, you know, New Orleans is, is known for its food and alcohol. And I put the extra food on my husband's plate for him to eat. I took a photo of what I knew honestly was the right portion. And I texted that photo to my sponsor. And I only ate what was in that photo. So, you know, two weeks on vacation, and I weighed exactly what I weighed before leaving on vacation when I got home. Um, and the best part, there was no food chatter taking up my headspace. You know, I had contented abstinence. You're going to know if you have contented abstinence 
because you're not going to be thinking about the food. You're not going to be thinking about one anymore. You're just going to be honest. You're going to have a plan. And, and for me as a compulsive overeater, I have to have a plan. I can't go out there. Um, I can't go out there without one. Just can't go out there in the world without one. So, you know, once we ingest our trigger foods, we use volume or engage in behaviors that trigger us, we're really headed for trouble. And that's easy to do when traveling, eating out, or experiencing challenging times in our life. Um, and that happened to me. I didn't even realize my emotions. You know, to stay abstinent, I have to pay attention to my emotions. Um, I spent most of my life you know, I looked like I was strong on the outside. I always acted like I was strong. But I don't know if this is common with, with addicts, but I learned I'm really quite sensitive. But I had this really bad habit of just sweeping my emotions under the rug, and then I stepped them down with food. So, you know, pay attention to the warning signs, the red flags, whatever you want to call them. It's okay is a big one. Thinking about food, thinking about eating more, you know, being with other people at food gatherings or on vacation, um, and you're hearing in your head, it's okay, it's okay to eat this because, or I need more food because, uh, you got to pay attention to that stuff. And usually when that's going on, there's, we're either not connected to our higher power, um, we are not paying attention to emotions and dealing with them and doing 10 steps. Um, and, you know, sometimes, Life throws us real curveballs. Uh, I had several thrown my way in the last year, and COVID was truly the least of my problems. Um, I felt grateful, actually, that if we were going to be in a pandemic, that that part of my life happened during a pandemic because it actually um, kept my head above the water that everybody, <clears throat> that the world shut down and everybody, you know, it's like I didn't have to work. Um, through all this stuff I was going through, through. So, and I'll keep this short, but, um, you know, I spent 30 years with the man that I married and, you know, we had a lot in common, you know, and there was comfort and love with each other. Like, you know, I'd never had with anybody else. And when we retired, my husband started drinking and, um, you know, he was just like that man in the big book, the man of 30 who was dead in four years. He, he didn't drink while he, um, while he worked, but then when he, he retired, he started drinking. Um, so ultimately, alcoholism is what destroyed our marriage. And, you know, while we were going through it, while he was going through it, um, very challenging times, but we stayed together. You know, we did some therapy. We kept rising above the challenges. Things would get better. Things would get worse. Things would get better. Things would get worse. And four years ago, um, he was in a serious accident and he suffered a head injury and it changed his personality um, a lot of depression he was depressed he was unreasonable he was angry um, and we just couldn't rise above that one um, I tried I was going to hang in there um, but unfortunately it ended in a brutal divorce during COVID and four months after a divorce was final he was in a fatal a fatal bicycle riding accident and you know, that was just six months ago, and I came really close to losing my abstinence. Um, you know, and this is what's kind of baffling. Um, I, was doing, I was doing 10 steps because during the divorce, I had a lot of resentment and I had a lot of fears. And I was working with others. I was sponsoring. I was doing service. 
I was living in 10, 11, and 12. You know, I felt like I had, you know, I had recovery in this, in, uh, I felt recovered. Um, and, but I started, I started doing some weird stuff, you know, it's like I'm starting to eat in front of the TV again. And I was really wanting to numb out and there was lots of red flags and, and it took a while um, of like, why I've got this food, I've got this, you know, food chatter going on in my head. I'm wanting to sit in front of the TV and eat, you know, um, I feel like I'm white knuckling stuff, but I'm working this program. What's happening? What's happening? So, you know, I really took this to my higher power and it, and it took a while, but I finally realized that I was sad. <sighs> I'm still sad. You know, the divorce didn't stop me from loving this man. And no one understood the sadness. And I wasn't allowing myself to grieve. You know, people perceived my relationship with my husband as done. So they had no sense of how I was feeling. Um, you know, for his memorial, I was like the divorced wife. So I had no part in that. Um, it, was, it, was, it was really, really hard. You know, I was feeling betrayed by my friends and family who just didn't get it. Um, so my point in all of this is I believe you can be working what feels like a really strong program, but when food thoughts are taking up headspace, there's something else going on. Um, you know, especially if you've experienced something traumatic, like the death, you know, the death of a parent, a spouse, a child. Or even just the death of, um, it doesn't even have to be traumatic. You know, we lose parents, we lose children, we lose, we lose our pets, we lose our friends. Um, you know, as an addict, it's like, I, I can't just put on a brave face, you know. Coping can turn to stuffing feelings. And when I'm stuffing feelings, it can take its toll. Um, so, you know, once I, ident I identified this sadness, and stop trying to make it go away, I stopped having the food thoughts. And the neutrality of the food came back. It was like just identifying what was going on. And it was really amazing because it was like this black cloud was lifted. Um, and, you know, thankfully I'm abstinent. I'm still sad, and I've accepted the fact that that sadness is probably never going to go away. Um, you know, my days are good, and I'm grateful. But... Um, you know, my life is full, and I focus on those things. I acknowledge the sadness when it surfaces, but I stay in gratitude and continue to do service. And, you know, in time, maybe I'll learn to accept the unacceptable. Um, so, you know, none of this happens overnight. Um, pay attention to when you're having food thoughts. Usually it's a clear sign we have a resentment. We need to make an amends. We're fearful. We've been dishonest. I mean, look at what's going on. Food thoughts can be the addict jumping on board, but our higher power is there too. So listen to your higher power, not the addict. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of the, the, compact, the compound effect, but the compound effect is the principle of reaping huge rewards from a series of small, smart, smart choices. So tiny changes, remarkable results. And and, you know, the idea behind it is that you do something consistently over a long period of time, and you get these great payoffs. Um, so, and I guess there's that question, do you want a million dollars today, or do you want a penny today that's going to double 
for 30 days. You know, the end of 30 days, you're going to end up with several million dollars. So when you're getting abstinent, you know, it may feel overwhelming, um, especially if you're the person that gets abstinent, then breaks your abstinence. You get abstinent, you break your abstinence. I mean, it almost becomes a habit, and habits are difficult to break. So being abstinent can also become a habit. You know, make the smart, small choice every day of sticking 100% to your honest, healthy food plan. You know, if you're a volume eater, consider weighing and measuring your food. You know, be accountable. I, I have my sponsees email their food plan to me um, or someone and be specific on what they're eating. You know, try mindful eating. Don't eat with distractions. Have a plan. You know, do you know you have the food you need for the next day? Um, I always recommend to sponsees not to make changes to their food plan when they're, when they're getting abstinent. You know, know the night before and write down the food you have in your refrigerator so there's no reason to deviate because that's a real common problem. It's, it starts little, you know, these little small changes and all of a sudden we're not abstinent anymore. You know, if you decide midday you want a different protein, put it on your food plan for tomorrow. You don't need to change it today. Those are like little red flags. You know, have a food plan that doesn't include your trigger foods or your binge foods and keep it simple. Keep it healthy. Turn to your higher power when feelings come up. If you, I mean, I always tell people if you feel a little hungry between meals, drink some water, drink a cup of tea. Um, and I always tell my sponsees this. If you don't like how you physically feel in 30 days, you know, we have the same. We'll gladly refund your misery. Um, you know, get a step sponsor and work the steps. That is so important. If you want what your sponsor has, do what they did. Find someone who has what you want and follow their directions. Um, you know, I have my sponsees agree to certain criteria before I sponsor them. And if they're not ready, it's okay. You know, we're ready when we're ready. Don't have any guilt or shame about it. You'll know when you're ready. But when you're ready, find a sponsor. If you're not ready, don't, don't find a sponsor because you'll be wasting your time. You've got to be ready. You've got to know 100% you've lost all control and power. And, you know, go to any lengths. Um, surrender. Because without complete surrender, there's no way you're going to get entire abstinence. Um, be willing. Do the work. You know, the truth is going to set you free, but it may anger you first. But how much truth do you want to see and how much and how free do you want to be? Um, you know, we need one of two things. We need a lot of God or we need a lot of food. So just remember that when emotions are knocking at our door and we don't want to open the door, food thoughts can come in. You know, we can start making excuses to change the food plan. Again, failing to plan is planning to fail. So once the food isn't triggering us, the steps are a must. Because resentment, fear, anger, sadness can all trigger us. I mean, even enjoyment can trigger us. And God is our only defense. You know, we're never cured. And working with others is, is going to help us not to forget. And I think on that note, I will pass. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, Kathleen, for sharing your experience with all of us. Thank you for such a thought-provoking and thorough presentation this morning. Great stuff. The share ID for this morning, 17,897. That's 17897. 
Kathleen's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Kathleen by pressing star 1 to unmute. Questions only. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Irene Reggie O. Irene Colleen M. Abby O. Reggie O. Yes. Robin P. Margie D. And Marcia D. Sandy B. Jessica C. Okay, let me tell you. Yes. Gotcha, Sandy. Thus far, I have Irene B. Colleen M. Reggie O. Abby S. Robin P. Marcia D. Sandy D. And Jessica. So let's proceed with this current list, beginning with Irene B. Everybody else, please mute. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. This is Irene B. Gratefully recovered bulimic in Louisiana. I absolutely, oh my gosh, I, I jumped in late in the meeting because somebody texted me that you were talking about divorce. And right now I am going through the most horrific betrayal that I've experienced in my life. And I've experienced a lot of that. My question is, you said tiny changes lead to remarkable results. And I just need help in processing my grief. I just need help in knowing. I know I need to go to God. I know that. I, I I just feel so lost in my grief. And I just need help. And I was just wondering if there was anything you could think that helped you through your grief. And with that, I pass. Can I be heard? Hello? Yes, you can. Hear you. You can be heard. Star one, Kathleen. Kathleen, press star one to unmute. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Talking, I'm talking, and I'm hearing a lot of voices. Um, Yeah, thanks, Irene. I know. um, I think divorce is very painful, um, and. I'll tell you what, there's a great fellowship here. Um, we, have, we have so many people that, that understand us. Um, and oddly enough, it was almost easier for me to reach out to, um, you know, fellows that I have a connection with, um, who I really have never even met in person or seen. Some of them I have. Um, but to be able to talk about that stuff. And, um, and there's all sorts, you know, there's, there's, you know, call me on the side, Irene, cause I can kind of tell you what, what I, what I did, but mostly in a, in a nutshell is I always went to God. I went to my higher power. Um, when things are hard, just sit down, um, close your eyes, connect with your higher power and, 
honestly, my higher power would say, don't worry, Kathleen, I have your back. And that would get me through the day. And I can give you more backstory on that to show you that God did have my back. It was really amazing. And thanks. Thank you, Irene, for your question. Colleen M., your turn, star one to unmute. Questions only, please. Good morning. This is Colleen M. from Maryland. Thank you, Kathleen. Such a great presentation. Really spoke to me. But my, I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more detail of the requirements that you have for your sponsees that you're getting ready to work with and what, what you um, ask them to do when they're just starting. Okay, sorry, I think I keep hitting my mute button. Maybe that's what messed up last time. Okay, thanks, Colleen. Yeah, you know, I, I email them a list um, asking them certain things. Um, you know, are they willing to do certain things? And I do with my sponsees, um, I would say most of them, if, if they have weight to lose is – I do talk to them about their food plan, and I do ask them to pass it by their doctor or their um, their nutritionist. Um, but I help them get an honest food plan. Um, if I just say to people, I've said to people before, oh, just email me your food plan. Um, there's some crazy food plans out there. It's like, how are you ever going to lose weight on that? So we we do talk about the food plan and then I have them email me that and I do ask them to keep it simple and I ask them to keep it healthy. Um, and I have certain times that we talk, we usually talk, um, you know, four times a week and while we're going through the steps and I let them know that they're doing most of the work. I have a way of doing it where, um, I wish I had time to go through the big book with everybody, but I don't. So I have them do the work, and then we talk about certain portions of the of the chapters as we're going through them and the steps. Um, and I do. I ask them not to eat with distractions. I said, "Are you willing to just sit with your food and eat, and not watch TV? Not not because I just think it gets it. When you, the cleaner you can keep it, the better you can keep it. Um, I ask them to you know do prayer and meditation to take some time doing that. I ask them to reach out and try to get a network of friends, of, you know, fellows. Um, and, and I ask, it's not just about, I do have them do some tools, like reaching out to people, but it's not like, you know, I'm going to beat them up. It's not, I don't tell them to do three calls. I just say, you know, if you're struggling, reach out to someone. Ask them, say, hey, what did you do? You know, talk to someone recovered. This is where I'm having an issue. What, what do you do? Um, I'm trying to remember everything else. I was trying to look for my list, but I can't find it. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, that's, that's, I just ask certain things. And, oh, and I do ask them, do you, have you 100% um, given up control? Do you know 100% that you have no control and no power anymore? Because some people will say, well, no, I do think I can maybe control this. I mean, I really feel like it's a waste of time. You've got, you've got to know that in your head um, because otherwise you get to the end and you haven't had that spiritual awakening and you're still thinking about the food because you still think you have power over it. You still think you can control it. If we can't let go of that, um, this work doesn't really work. And thanks, Colleen. Thank you, Colleen M. Reggie O., your turn. 
Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Kathleen, for really a great, really great presentation. And you said, um, among many things, uh, when you were talking about the sadness associated with your husband and your divorce, you said, sadness surfaces and I continue to focus on gratitude. And uh, I didn't realize this, but I could probably start crying as I try to ask you this question. Um, I have a gratitude practice with three other, you know, fellows in recovery. Every day we, you know, do 10 gratitudes to each other on email. And it is amazing. And I'm doing this in the midst of, uh, or, you know, after the fact, my sister died in um, September, at the end of September 26th, after spending a month on a ventilator, which I was with her on Zoom almost every day since I couldn't be there on the other side of the country. And uh, sadness is absolutely probably the most difficult emotion for me. And um, so I do the gratitudes every day and amazing. They're all, even in the midst of it all, I could always find 10 things to be grateful for. And that's a, you know, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, And, but the sadness, I, I still like start to question myself, you know, and it's like, uh, in my, you know, I'm not, my sleeping is off and uh, various things like that. And I just wonder, you know, I, I guess I think I should be different somehow. I don't know. I don't know exactly all it is. I just know I'm dealing with the emotion that's been the most difficult for me my entire life. And um, I just wonder if you could elaborate on that or do you have any other, you know, any other words of wisdom? Thanks, Reggie. And I'm so sorry for the loss of your sister. Yeah, you know, we have these relationships with people in our lives. And, um, and I mean, siblings, our parents, our spouses, our children. Um, and when they leave us, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and, and yeah, the sadness. I think, I think the thing with the sadness, Reggie, is for me, I have to, I have to acknowledge it when it comes up. And like I said, um, you know, for me, because my husband's death was so traumatic and, and he was, you know, just gone, suddenly just gone. It's like, how can, how can a physical body be gone that quickly? How can it happen that fast? Um, and, you know, with your sister, you had a little bit of time. Um, with my parents, I had time, you know, and they were older. Um, but even so, there's sadness. And, and I, don't, I don't think we should expect that that sadness will ever go away. Um, I do think, you know, with time, things get easier, but we're all, always going to have a little sadness. And, and it's okay, but we've got to acknowledge it. And, and yeah, the whole gratitude thing, I mean, it has to be balanced out with that because, you know, the sadness can suck us in sometimes. And um, any emotion can suck us in. Um, so, I mean, I, you're, doing what, you're doing what you need to do, but don't deny the sadness. Um, and, it, and it may never go away, you know. It just may never go away. My hope is that we all are all reunited in the end. And I actually feel closer to my husband in death spiritually than I did at the end of our marriage because it was really nasty. And, and that was because of this head injury, I believe. But, um, you know, I don't know. I feel 
hopefully you feel the presence of your sister. Um, I feel that when people go that we're close to, they're always, they're actually still, still with us. And I don't know about you, but I can feel it sometimes. So, um, but don't deny the sadness. It's going to be there. Thanks, Reggie. And again, I'm sorry about your sister. Yeah, thanks, Kathleen. That's helpful. Thank you, Reggie. Abby S., your turn. Star 110 mute. Hi, thank you so much. This is Abby S. in Michigan. Um, thank you for your presentation. I'm wondering if you have any experience drinking help about um, weighing and measuring in restaurants or with friends. Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Um, yeah. There is a little scale that is pretty discreet. I can't remember the name of it right now because um, I haven't been to a restaurant for a long time. <laughs> But you can actually put your plate over it, and you can weigh and measure your food. But I find um, I find doing being really accountable. It, being accountable is so huge. You know, to go to a restaurant and not tell any tell your sponsor or somebody that you're going um, is is not a good plan. Uh, you can discreetly weigh your food. I don't feel real comfortable doing that. So sending a picture works for me. I mean, I literally say to my sponsor, you know, hey, I'm going to a restaurant. This is where things can get dicey for me. Um, I know what's on the menu, and I'm going to send you a picture before I eat it. And it, it keeps me accountable. The key is being accountable. I remember um, when I first got abstinent, my sponsor, um, I she said, you know, really try not to go out to eat when you're first getting abstinent. Try not to go out to eat for the first, I don't know how many days, 30 days, whatever. But if something special is happening, we're going to talk about it. So I had this, um, this graduation thing, and she said, call the caterer, find out what's being served, see if you can get your food the way you need it. And I did. I called the caterer. It's like sometimes we have to, like, go to that extra length. And that's one of the things I always ask my sponsees, are you willing to go to any length? Because sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, it feels really good that you made the extra effort, you know. Um, know, know what's at that restaurant if it's food that you can eat, if it's not your trigger food. And, and don't even look at the menu. Know what, I mean, everything's online. You, know, you can know what you're going to order. And it's very easy to ask the waiter and waitress, to serve your protein or whatever without any sauces, just keep it all plain. Um, but yeah, the picture thing I think works the best, but be accountable. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Abby S. Robin P., your turn. Hi, thanks so much. Oh my gosh, Kathleen, thank you, Leah. Thank you, Kathleen, that was just wonderful. Robin P., Grateful Recovery Compulsory over here in Costa Rica. Um, I just, my question for you is I'm aware of several mind, mindfulness techniques while you're eating. I would love to hear more about yours. And, and thank you again. Send you a big hug. Thanks, Robin P. from Costa Rica. <laughs> um, so, yeah, mindful eating. Um, I really do sit with God and my food. And when I sit down, I, I just pause for a second and I say, thank you, God, for this amazing abstinent food I get to eat. Um, and then I just pay attention to what I'm eating. You know, I, 
I don't think of other things. I eat my food and I enjoy my food. And I, I especially enjoy the fact that I'm not thinking about wanting more or something different. It's like I eat really healthy food that nourishes my body. And, and so I'm just grateful for that while I'm eating. And, and yeah, mindful eating is basically being with your food, keeping that mind-body connection, um, you know, have God with you. Um, I mean, I tend to eat my food pretty quickly, but I, I eat less quickly if I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. I hope that answers your question. Thanks, Robin. It's always good to hear your voice. Thanks, Robin P. Marsha D., star one to unmute with your question. Good morning, Kathleen. This is Marsha D., and uh, thank you. You've been very instrumental in my recovery, so I appreciate that. My question is um, in regard to eating out, and you may have already spoken to it, but how do you handle avoiding your alcoholic foods when you're out in the public arena? Do you take them with you? Do you just try and talk to the chef? What do you do? Thanks, Marcia. Um, yeah, it, I I do one of two things. If if um, I'm eating out, I know what's on the menu. So if if my friends say or whoever says we're going to go to th- this restaurant, I go online. If it's a rest if it's a restaurant that has my abstinent food and I know I can get what I need, then I will eat at that restaurant. If it's a restaurant that does not have the food I eat, and I'm plant-based, so my food is really simple. And some restaurants just don't, they don't, they don't jive that way. Um, I will actually eat my meal either before or after, depending on the timing. And I'll go sit with my friends and just drink tea. Um, my friends have gotten used to that. It doesn't bother them. It's, I have to say it's a little uncomfortable when you first start doing it because when people are eating, you're not. But I'm telling you, people eat their food pretty quickly. And most of the time you're there, you're talking, and they don't really care what you're doing. I mean, they really don't. You know, I have some friends that I think secretly wish, oh, I wish you'd just do this. You know, I wish you'd just eat with us and enjoy this. It's like they don't get that um, – that's not enjoyment for me because it puts me on, it puts me spiraling downward where, you know, binging my brains out. It's like, they just don't get it. You know, I do enjoy my food. I enjoy not eating <laughs> the stuff you guys are eating. Um, so I hope that helps. Thanks, Marcia. Sandy D, your turn. Uh, this is Sandy B in Virginia. Uh, question, I, I came in late, so I want to make sure I, I heard this correctly. Well, actually, I have two questions. Um, one, I think, did you say that, that your food plan can include, include trigger and binge foods? I think I misheard that. And the other is food thoughts. You mentioned how they can be bring on fear and resentment, that sort of thing. And thank you so much for your for your share. Thank you, Sandy. No, I did not say food plan could include flour and sugar or whatever those, I heard you say sugar. Um, I mean, maybe what, I I might have said something like, um, 
Oh, oh, I think I was saying that someone's nutritionist told them they should have some sugar. Um, so it's about being honest about our trigger foods. If we're going to a nutritionist, we have to say, these are, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater. These are my trigger foods. I need a plan so I can get in a healthy body, be a normal weight that do not include my trigger foods. Sugar is a trigger food. If you're honest about that and say that, you're not going to have a nutritionist tell you you need a food plan with sugar. And if you do, find another nutritionist. Um, and the food thoughts are, for me, when I'm having the food thoughts, that there's something else going on. Because when I have contented abstinence, I am not having the food thoughts. So if I'm noticing food thoughts, and I'm not saying, you know, um, the goal is contented abstinence, and I have that most of the time, but there are times when I don't because I'm having food thoughts. That's not contented abstinence to me. So if I'm having the food thoughts, I have to ask myself, what is going on? What is it that I'm not paying attention to? Because sometimes I'll have resentments or fears and I don't acknowledge them. I don't pay attention to them. And so it's really, you know, that's where prayer and meditation helps me a lot because a lot of times that'll come up. And I hope that answers your question. Thanks, Sandy. Thank you, Sandy D. Jessica D., your turn. Hi, uh, this is Jessica C. Um, I'm from Ontario, Canada. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, Kathleen, thank you so much for your presentation. Um, I also have a question about weighing and measuring when um, sort of outside of, uh, when you're eating outside of the home. Um, I heard you say that instead of weighing your food, you'll take a picture of it and send it to your sponsor. Um, is that something you do instead of weighing or are you doing that in conjunction with weighing? The reason I ask is that um, I got um, abstinent and recovered over the pandemic. And um, now that things are opening up where I live, um, today is actually Thanksgiving in Canada. And so I'm heading to sort of like one of my first family functions um, in the last, you know, almost two years. So I'm just sort of like, you know, I, I want to maintain this recovery and this neutrality over food, but I, um, if I'm being honest, I'm also really aware of, like, how other people perceive the way that I eat. So, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thanks, Jessica, and happy Thanksgiving. Um, you know, my, um, I was only abstinent a couple months when, when Thanksgiving came around, and um, my sponsor told me, have a plan, Kathleen, and trust me, um, this is going to be the best Thanksgiving you ever had. So trust me, Jessica, if you have a plan and you stick to your plan, um, you're going to have the best Thanksgiving you've ever had. And it is a little uncomfortable sometimes, um, you know, when we're doing things different around family. And, and it's hard for our families. Once they get used to it, they're fine. But at first, they're like, well, it's Thanksgiving, you know you're not going to do this. It's your birthday. You're not, we're not going out to dinner and having birthday cake. It's like, that's what we did all the, all the time. We did this our whole lives. You know, what are you talking about? Um, what I would do is, I mean, if you know what food's going to be there, bring your scale. If you're just with family, it's not difficult to, you know, get your scale. If you're weighing and measuring, um, putting your plate on the scale, taking what abstinent food you have and just weighing it out. Um, and if that's a problem, bring your food with you. Um, you know, 
our families want us healthy. And if they know we've been struggling, they're going to support us. Um, you know, I, people would say to me when I first got abstinent, um, you know, and then I got in this normal sized body and I stayed in it. They're like, aren't you ever going to eat this again? And I would say to them, you know, I probably will. I'm just not doing it today because I felt like I needed to give them hope, you know, um, and that shut them up. So, you know, you can say to your family, um, you know, this is what I've been doing. I've been feeling really good. It's, it's, you know, I feel healthier. I mean, you know, hopefully you're looking better and, and just say, you know, this is what I'm going to be doing. And they might ask you, oh, are you always going to do this? Well, it's Thanksgiving. Can't you just do it this one time? I mean, they don't understand that when we take that bite, we are, we are toast. You know, we're doomed. Um, so just tell them, if, if, you know, I'm just doing this this time. I want to see how this feels. It's going to feel really good. So I hope that helps, Jessica. But have your plan. Thank you, Jessica C. We can probably take two more questions. Are there two more people who'd like to pose a question? Julie S. Julie S. Somebody K. Terry K. Terry K. All right, Julie S. and Terry K. Go ahead, Julie. Questions only, please. Hi, this is uh, Julie S. in Illinois. Thank you so much uh, for your service today. I have a quick question. Um, just wondering if you could speak a little bit to, um, you know, ha- determining what your absolute foods are. I'm, you know, working on um, developing um, my list and sort of um, figuring that all out and, and, and I think having a hard time keeping myself honest about it because some of the foods um, are healthy foods. And so I'm just wondering if you have anything you can say on that. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Yeah. um, So determining what your absent foods are. Write down any foods you've ever binged on and write down any foods that trigger you to eat more. And Whatever's not on that those lists are probably abstinent foods. Um, you know, my abstinent foods are simple. The simpler you can keep things, the better. I eat protein, I eat vegetables, cooked and raw. I eat fruit and I eat grain, but they're all in simple forms. Grain is not sweet potato fries to me or potato chips anymore. You know, grain is in its natural simple form, and usually processed foods are can be trigger foods for most of us. So the simpler you keep it, the more natural form you keep it. Um, but again, look at what triggers you because you're right. Some healthy foods can trigger us. Um, and I'm going to give you an example. Um, if you give me a bag of raw almonds, because being plant-based, um, I do include nuts, but they are either only raw almonds or raw walnuts, and they are weighed and measured. I, you know, They usually end up to be about 10 raw almonds. Um, you give me a bag of raw almonds, I can eat the whole thing. But when I'm weighing them and I eat them only at one particular meal, it's not a problem for me. But there's very few foods that, that go into that category of, you know, foods that are good for us but can also be a problem. So, again, you've got to kind of um, figure out what's going to work for you. And if, and if you're not plant-based and nuts trigger you, just don't eat nuts. 
Hope that helps. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Our final question for today comes from Terry Kay. Hi, this is Terry. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay, this is Terry Kay um, in Missouri. I missed 10 minutes of the Q&A, so if you've already talked about this, just let me know and I'll listen to the recording. Um, I'm interested to learn more about what your relationship and your daily communication practices with your higher power because it's obvious that it's strong, but I'm interested in the legwork or the mind work that happens throughout your day. Thanks, Terry. Um, yeah, I I have to keep a really strong relationship with my higher power. Um, so I do, um, I get up very early in the morning and, and I just naturally get up, um, you know, as soon as the, it starts to get light out, I wake up. Um, and I do a walking meditation in the morning. Um, sometimes I'll actually sit, but walking meditation has always helped for me because I kind of connect with my higher power when I'm out in nature. I live in the Sierra Foothills in California, so it's like being in a park. And um, I go out in the morning, and, and I, I don't even see anybody. I mean, it literally, it's just getting light out. And, and I'll walk, and I can really connect with my higher power that way. Um, I don't know why that works for me, but it does. I just call it my walking meditation. Um, but I also check in with my higher power throughout the day. If, um, you know, a lot of my resentments, I don't write them out because I can, I'll, 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 I'll like, uh, oh, you got a resentment about that or you have a fear about that. And I'll go through in my head with my higher power. It's like, okay, what's the cause of this resentment? Um, you know, where, where am I being selfish, self-seeking, dishonest? Where am I being afraid? Um, and I'll, I'll go, I'll just kind of like sit and pause for a couple minutes with my higher power and go through that. And most of the time, it's gone, you know, because I realize I'm being selfish. I want someone to do or say or be something they're not. And I can just let that go. It's like, bless them, change me, God. Um, you know, just love them. Uh, and if I continue to think about it, then I'll actually sit down, write it out. I mean, sometimes we think we don't have time to do this, but if you add up all the time you spent thinking about, obsessing about food um, compared to the time we take to do these steps and do this work on a daily basis, there's a lot more free time left to do what you want. I mean, it's really amazing. It doesn't seem like that sometimes, but it is. So if I have to take five minutes out of what, I mean, we have like how many minutes, thousands of minutes every day. If I have to take five and sit down and write out a resentment and call someone and give it to them, then that's what I do. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm connected with my higher power all day because I have to be. And because I find when I am, I'm getting the help I need. You know, I'm getting the relief I need. I'm not getting into my crazy thinking. And, um, you know, this really is about healthy, healthy eating and healthy thinking. Thanks, Terry. Thank you, Terry Kay, and everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Kathleen, for sharing your experience with all of us this morning, spending time 
to carry this message of recovery. Just a beautiful and thorough presentation. Thank you. The share ID for today is 17,897. That's 17897. And we're going to close now from a page in Chapter 11 entitled A Vision for You. We're on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.